This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. The state's jail system is stretched to a breaking point. Even with various programs, incentives, and pay raises to encourage more West Virginians to serve as correctional officers, there are still severe vacancies. We have over a thousand vacancies in in high-skilled, very dangerous jobs. That story and more coming up this West Virginia Morning. Support for West Virginia Morning is proudly provided by Luke Frazier. A new discussion series for veterans to discuss their experiences is seeking participants in West Virginia. Emily Rice has more. The series, called Testament, Recovering Identity After War, seeks multi-generational veterans to participate in discussing their varied experiences. The program is co-directed by Marshall University professors Dr. Christina Franzen and Dr. Robin Connolly Reiner. A lot of people feel super isolated when they come home from war. And I think what Robin and I have found over the last couple years is we've created a community of people where they feel comfortable to share their experiences. There will be three discussion group series held this spring at Marshall University, Concord University, and Bridge Valley Community College. For Appalachia Health News, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston. Appalachia Health News is a project of West Virginia Public Broadcasting with support from Charleston Area Medical Center and Marshall Health. Marshall University has received a $4.5 million federal grant to train workers in manufacturing trades. Caroline McGregor reports. The grant is for an apprenticeship initiative through the U.S. Department of Labor's Employment and Training Administration. The initiative will be executed through the Apprenticeship Works Program and administered by the Robert C. Byrd Institute. The money was secured by U.S. Senators Shelley Moore Capito and Joe Manchin. It will help train workers in skilled manufacturing trades like plumbing, carpentry and welding. One of the largest in the nation, the Apprenticeship Works model provides advanced manufacturing skills through customized hands-on work-based learning and includes trade-specific online instruction. The Marshall University Initiative will train more than 500 apprentices in 20 apprenticeship programs. Apprenticeship Works also provides opportunities for youth, women and veterans and has served 450 pre-apprentices in that capacity. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Caroline McGregor in Charleston. A new report has identified the cheapest source of electricity in West Virginia, and it isn't coal. Curtis Tate has more. According to Energy Innovation Policy and Technology, every coal plant that's currently in operation in West Virginia could be replaced with wind and solar at a lower cost. That's following the enactment last summer of the Federal Inflation Reduction Act, which includes numerous tax incentives for renewable energy. For now, state-level policy favors keeping existing coal plants in operation for at least several more years. But the Clean Power Policy Group found savings on a per-megawatt-hour basis by replacing the coal plants with wind and solar. The smallest cost difference the group found was $1.77 a megawatt-hour at the Appalachian Power Mountaineer plant in Mason County versus local solar. The highest difference, $18.01 at the Wheeling Power Mitchell plant in Marshall County versus regional wind. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Curtis Tate in Charleston. West Virginia's farms and forests were on display Monday at the Capitol. Randy Yowie has more. State Agriculture Commissioner Kent Leonhardt is singing high praises for the Mountaintop Beverage Facility in Morgantown. 
He says the public-private business partner is an aseptic milk processing facility geared to produce and distribute shelf-stable milk. When this type of processing comes into an area, the dairy farms move in. They're going to be able to distribute shelf-stable milk that does not need refrigeration, that tastes just as good as you get at the grocery store right now. What's the beauty of that? For our school systems, for an example, sometimes they can't get a daily delivery of fresh milk. Now, we'll be able to have fewer trucks, less expensive because they're not refrigerated, make a delivery. Speaker of the House Roger Hanshaw has told me more than once that he'd like to see the West Virginia Division of Forestry get more involved in facilitating furniture making in the state. Jeremy McGill, an assistant state forester with the West Virginia Division of Forestry, says the division no longer has an FPU, a forest products utilization forester. They primarily make contact with wood products industry in the state, sawmills, cabinet makers, flooring manufacturers, uh, people who were involved in the manufacturing end instead of like the primary production end loggers. McGill says if there were efforts to increase furniture making in West Virginia, the Division of Forestry would be able to help facilitate the wood-based industry development. We have information about the natural resources of the state. Uh, we can link them with the Forest Service uh, data that tells you know what kind of species we have, how much there is, where's it at. Shelf-stable milk and possible furniture making, two things related to the land that could see growth in the near future. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie in Charleston. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 749. A winter weather advisory is in effect this morning in most areas of West Virginia. A wintry mix this morning, mostly cloudy skies today, highs in the 30s. Rain, sleet, and snow possible tonight with lows in the 20s and 30s. And partly sunny tomorrow with highs in the 30s. Support for WVPB's weather forecast is provided by the attorneys at Taurus Save a Law, representing firefighters, police officers, and West Virginia families. Information at TaurusSaveAlaw.com. And by Dutch Miller Subaru in Charleston. Dutch Miller Automotive is proud to be dedicated to multiple community service initiatives and local charities. More about our team and the Subaru Love Promise at DutchMillerSubaru.com. Call 1-800-RADIO-87 to pledge your support to West Virginia Public Broadcasting. The situation is that West Virginia's jails continue to be difficult, even with various programs, incentives, and pay raises to encourage more West Virginians to serve as correctional officers, there still are severe vacancies. A program to use members of the West Virginia National Guard in non-inmate contact areas has helped, but representatives from the Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation concede that it is a stopgap measure and it was never intended to be a permanent fix. Legislative reporter Chris Schultz sat down with Senator Mike Caputo and Delegate David Kelly to get their take on the situation and moves in the legislature to help fix it. So, Senator, why don't we start with you? Can you just give us 30,000 feet up look at what is the situation in the state's jail system right now? Well, it's it's not rocket science. We have over a thousand vacancies in in high skilled, uh, very dangerous jobs, and we as a state have to find a way to fix that. 
and uh, we're working together across party lines to try to figure out solutions and talking to experts and seeing what we can come up with. And what do you believe is, is part of the problem here? I mean, why do we have so many vacancies? Well, I, I think uh, my opinion is pay. It always comes down to pay. These are very stressful uh, jobs, and they are requiring at this point in time a lot of overtime, a lot of mandatory overtime because we just don't have the staff to, to fill these uh, positions, and someone has to be there to look uh, look over these inmates and, uh, you know, Take care of business. So, so until we have full staffing, there's always going to be a problem there, and and we're not going to have full staffing until we are competitive in pay with our surrounding states. So, Delegate Kelly, I mean that's exactly what you have tried to rectify here with House Bill 2879, Correct. talking about pretty significant uh, pay increases for correctional officers. I'm seeing here. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, an initial bonus this year of six thousand dollars for existing. That- that's correct. Yeah, tell me a little bit about this bill. Well, the bill starts out with the assumption that we're going to give them $10,000 uh, as, as an across-the-board pay raise. Now, the bill, as it's written currently, would make that $5,000, $2,500, $2, and $2,500. that would be across the board. So your entry-level correctional officer would go from, uh, would go from $33,000, would, would go up. Uh, if, if, if we got it all at once, it would be 43000 but the sergeant who's been there, and this is what I like, the sergeant who's been there for 10 years is also going to get a $10,000 raise. And that's, that's how we keep them there. That's, that's how we do that. And so it's across the board from your entry-level CO right on up the line. Now, the bonus is a little different. The bonus would be a $6,000 bonus for current officers. Uh, it would be 3000 for a new hire. And that new hire would work for three years and at the completion of three years, then would be qualified to receive the additional $3,000. And, and, and as my good friend said, that doesn't come without a price tag. We know that. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, you know, it's sizable, but it's something that we can't ignore. Uh, these, are, these are unsung heroes. I'm, I'm sure Mike would agree with me. They are unsung heroes. They're the, we never see them. Uh, we never hear about them until something goes wrong, and then we hear, and we need to do something uh, to honor them. They are heroes. Yep. Delegate Kelly, uh, uh, nobody understands this problem better than you. I mean, this is your background. I trust your judgment on all of this. But, you know, I do understand workers and, yes. and what keeps workers there. And, you know, what I like about the delegate's plan is it's paid progression. It gives you a reason to make a career out of a, an otherwise maybe just a short-term job till something better comes along for, for lack of a, of a better term. So you're going, to make a de- you're going to make decent pay with decent benefits and know if you stay that your pay will, will climb and will, will be progressive because of your longevity and your devotion to this career. That's the only way we're going to keep people in professions like this. And they are unsung heroes. You know, most people say, oh, they're in jail, uh, you know, lock them up, throw away the key. Well, even if you have that attitude, you still should have sympathy for the correction officers that are there that have to, you know, that have to do uh, all the daily duties and, and the safety aspects to keep others safe. And let's keep in mind, there are civilians that work in these, in these uh, facilities as well. We are so short-staffed right now, and I'm sure Dave can talk about this way better than I can. I know we're using the National Guard, uh, not so much in by in the, you know, in the, the, the corrections part itself, but on out, out 
outside jobs, uh, which I'll refer to. I know there's a, a term for that. And even DNR officers to fill in these vacancies. We have a real problem in this, uh, in this profession in West Virginia. Yeah, Delegate, I, as I understand it, we've spent uh, several million dollars on staffing administrative positions with National Guard members. I mean, um, can you talk to that a little bit? And, and, and are we going to see potentially savings on short-term expenditures like that? Well, just for instance, it's estimated that it could be anywhere from $17 million to $20 million this year to keep the National Guard. Because uh, I mean, we're talking about 200, 250 yeah, yeah. positions. That's, that's not sustainable. Uh, we can't do that. Uh, that that's, that's just a, that, that, and I'm glad the governor did it. I'm, I'm glad he did it. He brought them in when we needed them the most, and they're still there. But what we have to do is we have to be proactive now. We have to find a way forward to, uh, to, down, to, to begin to bring those, those guardsmen out and put, put our officers back in. So, so with this, uh, we're able to do it. We, 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 it's a pathway forward, and uh, that's, that's, I think, the senator would agree with me. This is a pathway forward, and I want to say this. There are a lot of things down here that are political, but our jails and our prisons are not political. This is a real crisis that we're facing, and uh, we, we've got to do something. Yeah, it's well said. It is not sustainable. Absolutely not. And it's uh, uh, commend the governor, uh, kudos, but we've got to find a long-term fix here. We can't just continue to kick the proverbial can down the road, as they say, because this is an issue that's not going to go away on its own, and no. it's not going to get better no. until we step up as legislators and find out where our priorities are and, and put forth the political will to fix things. I mean, you know, prison uh, fixes may not be sexy or popular out on the campaign trail, but they're, they need done. And they're real people that work these jobs with real families and real kids who want to get a college education and, and, and live like uh, other families in their communities. That was Delegate David Kelly and Senator Mike Caputo speaking with Chris Schultz about the situation in West Virginia's jails. To hear more of this interview, visit our website at wvpublic.org.